Immerse yourself in rich biblical history and Christian heritage with Vision Tours. Exploring Australia, the Holy Lands and other global destinations. Forge bonds of lasting friendship as you fellowship with like-minded believers and discover a new richness in your faith in Christ and a broader understanding of the world's Christian heritage. Enjoy the fellowship of a lifetime with Vision Tours. Explore upcoming tour packages at vision.org.au slash tours. Connecting faith to life. Vision. Coming up today on The Story. My wetsuit, unfortunately, was short-sleeved vest, and my arms were exposed, my neck were exposed, and within a few moments I got stung by one and didn't see it. Found like 1,000 volts of electricity. Four hits, four separate jellyfish on my right arm, trying to protect my face, climbed up onto the reef, and Creole are telling me one of these will kill you. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today, we have an extraordinary one for you with Ian McCormack sharing his incredible experiences after being bitten by several poisonous box jellyfish while diving. He then had a near-death experience, which included a vision of heaven. So let's get right into it. This is part one of Ian McCormack's conversation with Karen Hunt today on The Story. Now, not only is he a church leader, teacher and speaker with uh, London's Kingsgate Christian Fellowship, but he's an avid surfer originally from New Zealand, commonly known as the Box Jellyfish Man. In essence, he had a nighttime diving accident in Mauritius about 30 years ago. He definitely had a true glimpse of hell, a very real glimpse of heaven. He died, he came back to life and surprised all the workers in the morgue and has been sharing his story Ever since, the movie has been released, The Perfect Wave. It stars Cheryl Ladd from Charlie's Angels and also Clint Eastwood's son, Scott Eastwood, Ian McCormack. Welcome here to Australia at this time. Great to be back in Australia. Where did you actually grow up? Born in Tauranga, which is the Bay of Plenty, and brought up in the North Island, so a Kiwi. So the islands, the the sea, the ocean, just a little bit of a surfing buff? Well, growing up, I just loved outdoors, so anything, any kind of sport, and I was a lifeguard surfer, uh, just loved the ocean, decided to go traveling in 1980 all around the world. So mm-hmm. yeah, surfing was a real passion of one of my sports. So surfing, when it did hit New Zealand, I started to take out my father's huge board, big mouths, and that started to get how to stand up, and then slowly the shorter boards came along, and, and then I began to surf Raglan and Pihar and Shipwreck Bay, Ahipara, Gisborne, and I began to travel in my weekends and just surf every weekend. So were you a Christian back in those days? No. Uh, my mother was an Anglican. Uh, father was a very nominal um, Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. So we had been to church as little children. They told us that we'd been christened, got confirmed at the age, I think, 13 or 14, but it, nothing really happened, and so most of my friends were surfing, and on weekends they'd be going to the beach, and so I decided to not go to church anymore and just start living like everyone else. I went to university and completed a degree in agriculture. So as a young man, adventure was in your spirit, adventure was on your heart. Where did it take you? Um, I think having the trip to Fiji gave me a real desire to see the beauty of islands and diving and the surf that was there. So... My friend and I were um, surfing companions, and we watched a movie called In a Summer, a classic mm-hmm. movie of a bunch of California kids. Yep, I remember it well. Chasing the wave, <laughs> man. And so we basically uh-huh. thought, well, let's hit the road. So we took off and came into Sydney and then surfed all the way up to Gold Coast, right up to Queensland, and then 
hitchhike, which is a mistake through the outbacks to Darwin. They never do that again, mate. Wow. <laughs> just Because I, mean, I love the outbacks, so I just wanted to go back out there. Mm-hmm. But hitchhiking from Brisbane to, to Darwin was not exactly the witty move. How long did it take? Well, we got about halfway, and then I think thought, forget Too it, we'd get a bus <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I loved it. Yeah. I just, I working out in the outbacks. I just loved that. It's so beautiful out there. You see the big red, big reds and the harvest moons and just fabulous. Mm. So I got to Darwin, then went into Bali and surfed, of course, World War Two and Padang and went overland through Java. I was going to go to Neos, but a lot of my guys were dying from cerebral malaria. So oh. I went into Singapore, to Malaysia, and then across to Sri Lanka, surfed Oregon Bay, Hikadua. Loved that. Went into Candy Temple of the Tooth and Katragama, one of the hidden Hindu cities. So began to questioning what is the meaning of life and mm-hmm. why are these people worshiping other things, gods mm-hmm. and idols? Saw very supernatural things taking place and couldn't quite figure out what was going on. But I knew that they're having a very, very powerful uh, supernatural encounters, people mm-hmm. walking on hot rock and hanging from meat hooks on maypoles. And I, what's all this about? But somewhere deep inside, I remember seeing people bowing down to Ganesh, the elephant god. And I remember even from the childhood, thou should have no other god than me, thou should not bow down to any graven image or idol. And I thought, well, these things are idols, man. Yeah. I'd never seen people in New Zealand worship idols or pray to them. And everywhere I looked, people were praying to these statues and clothing them and oil and milk and offering joss sticks and, and food to them. And I was I was kind of taken back by it. And one of them I was looking at as one of the holy cities they call uh, Katragama. You can only be taken there by a Hindu devotee. Mm-hmm. And one of these the idols started speaking to him. I thought, what the heck's that? And it was quite demonic. I didn't feel comfortable with it. But I began to see that there was a demonic spirit world associated with a lot of those things. And I was a little bit pulled back from getting too deeply involved. Mm-hmm. And then I got on a yacht from Sri Lanka, from Trincomalee. It's a 96-foot schooner because I love sailing and saved 26-day passage to Mauritius. And um, that was an adventure in itself. Ran out of money, went to South Africa to work. Worked in hotels, teaching windsurfing, water skiing, surfed Jeffreys Bay and Elands and Cape Town. My brother said, would you come back to New Zealand for a wedding? And I was thinking, well, I'm on an overland safari to Afri- up through Africa to London. Then I was going to fly into Peru and uh, uh, Argentina and go into the Andes and Mayan and come back through Tahiti. So I was half around the world, two years of traveling, and I didn't want to come back, but I'm very close to my younger brother, Neil, and he said, will you come back for the wedding? So I said, okay. Flew from South Africa into Reunion Island, back to Mauritius, waiting for a flight to connect into Perth, and I went night diving again. Um, I'd done lots of night diving with a local Creole fisherman, and it was the 19th of April, 1982, dropped into the ocean late at night, and started making out these transparent jellyfish with four finger-like tentacles coming off the box shape. Mm -hmm. Of course, as a New Zealander, we have blue bottles, but we do not have the box jellyfish. And in those years, there's no internet, so you didn't... Most books I'd ever read uh, on on the ocean never showed photos of the box jellyfish. And so I'd never seen them. I'd watched every Jacques Cousteau program. I was instructing in scuba. I was a diver. I'd wanted to be a marine biologist, so I knew the ocean very, very well. And when I saw this thing, I'd leather the gloves to get the craze, reached out and it squeezed through my hand. I thought, that is a jellyfish. What is that? Not realizing it had this potentially the deadliest creature known to man literally in the ocean with me. My wetsuit, unfortunately, was short sleeve vest and my arms were exposed, my neck were exposed, and within a few moments I got stung by one and didn't see it. It was mm. found like thousands of volts of electricity. Mm-hmm. Got four hits, four separate jellyfish on my right arm, trying to protect my face, 
climbed up onto the reef. My arm was up like Popeye and my skin was blistered. It looked like you'd been whipped across the forearm. Mm. The fishermen looked at me, and these black Rastafarians turned white. They said, Papon, on visaba, tak, sefani. So in Creole, they're telling me one of these will kill you. Yeah. When I'd done veterinary science university, I was terribly bad with allergies. They used to have to put antihistamine by injection into me. I, I suffered terribly from allergic reaction. And um, the only saving grace is that I put Vaseline petroleum jelly over my forearms that night and my face was getting sick of being eaten by sea lice. And instead of wearing a full wetsuit, that arm, they started biting you. So yeah. I, I tried it just that night for to see if it would work. So that at least helped the tentacles so they didn't stick where they normally would. They slid off. A lot okay. of people, when they've got bare skin, the tentacles stick and they continue to inject. So fortunately, when they hit me, they slipped off. But the fisherman said, Pabon, allez vite, quatre bon hospital. And they said, you must urinate on your arm now, which, of course, wow. the urine or vinegar is used to cause the tentacles, if they're still there in your flesh, mm-hmm. to let go. It doesn't stop the poison, but it, it causes the whatever remaining tentacles to actually let go. So I urinated on my arm, and I could feel the poison hitting my, my lymph glands, right lung, and then it felt like someone had smashed me in the kidneys. You're listening to The Story. Today we're hearing Ian McCormack sharing his experiences after being bitten by several box jellyfish while diving. Back with more of his remarkable story soon. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We are continuing with Ian McCormack sharing his incredible near-death experience. We'll pick up the story right after he's just been bitten by several poisonous box jellyfish while diving. The young kid got me to shore and it was so terrible... Uh, the pain and the poison it was causing my eyes to lose focus because that poison was going really quickly through my body. Uh, I tried to apply a manual tourniquet to restrict the inflowing flow because I didn't have a piece of rope in the boat. So I'm thinking, this got to, I've got to somehow constrict this, keep this away from my main part of my body. So fortunately it was in my arm. If I'd been hit in the throat, well, I'd have been dead. I, wouldn't, I don't think I even got out of the water. With that amount of poison, I don't think I'd get out of the water. Mm. I hit the beach, the poison had already paralyzed half of my body because it's a neurotoxin, collapsed on the beach. This kid somehow dragged me up the road, up up the beach onto the road, and then he's freaking. He's seen me die in front of him. This little kid has left one of the brothers out on the reef. He doesn't know what's happening. He's thinking, oh, my brother's going to be killed. I better go and rescue them. And I said, no, ambulance, gendarme, speaking French to him. He's going, my frère, sur la plage, Stephanie, Stephanie. Panicking. The other divers had full wetsuits because to them the water in Mauritius was cold. They're local men. To me, the water in the Mauritius was hot. I didn't even need a wetsuit. But these guys did because they felt really cold. So they had rubber hoods, booties. They knew what these jellyfish were, I found out later. Yeah, you didn't, but they and did. And I didn't. Mm-hmm. So he didn't need to rescue them. Mm-hmm. The kid bolts. I am so getting hit by this poison. In fact, they say within 10... 10 minutes, if you hit on the extremities, 10, 15 minutes, most people die. Mm. So here I am, I'm looking at this, 
My body is just starting to shut down. I feel incredibly tired. I begin to lie down on the road feeling like I just need to sleep. As my eyes begin to close, I hear the clear, audible voice of a man. He said, son, if you close your eyes, you will never awake again. I said, what? And when you have someone say that to you and it's like they're next to you, 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 you wake up. So I looked to my amazement, no one there. And um, I thought, where the heck's this guy gone? And then I ran the thought through, if you close your eyes, you'll never wake. Well, as a lifeguard, we're taught to slap people, even if they're hit by a blue bottle, you've got to keep them cognitive. If, yeah. they, if they slip into a coma, mm-hmm. you may administer anti-serum or antihistamine. It won't matter. They have to fight this with you. You, you can't let them go into a coma. They won't come out. So I was suddenly slapped to reality and believe had I not heard that voice, which I now know to be the voice of God, I would have died there right on the beach. But I'd never heard anything like this. In New Zealand, if you tell you hearing voices talking to you, mate, they'll put you in the funny farm. Yeah. So I stood up, realized that my left leg, the poison, hadn't taken that out, used my right leg as a crutch, hobbled down the road looking for help and found three Indian taxi drivers. And then I heard behind me the second time this voice, son, are you willing to beg for your life? Oh, that's a brilliant idea. Hadn't thought of that. Look behind me, no man, the invisible man again. Same voice. Same voice. Found out later in the Bible says you hear a voice behind you, say walk in this way. Mm-hmm. It also says my sheep will hear my voice. Mm-hmm. Well, I was what you call a black sheep, and I had no faith in God. But thank God Jesus goes looking for black sheep who don't believe in him. Mm. So I'm hearing the voice of God. I don't even know this. He said, son, are you willing to beg for your life? I thought, man, I've seen men in Africa beg. I've seen people in Asia beg, literally beg. I've never begged for anything in my life. Why not? Nothing to lose. I'll die otherwise. Dropped to my feet, lifted my paralyzed hand and cupped it like I'd seen Africans do, Zulu, and began to plead for my life. Mm-hmm. Well, three men checked this out. Two just walked. Stuff you, mate. Just walked away laughing. Couldn't give a, couldn't give a rip. Third one stopped. And he was caught in a decision what he was going to do. But amazingly... He walked towards me. Without a word, helped me into his taxi. I thanked him. I said, mate, thanks. You know, I'm about to die, man. Thank you for helping so me. you're still cognizant enough. Oh, yeah, mate. I'm fighting. I'm, I'm still applying. I'm still trying to stop this poison. Yeah. I know from my veterinary science university, which I studied, that I'm in serious trouble. That if that gets to my, if that gets to my heart and my brain, it's finished. Neurotoxins, don't, they don't stop. They keep moving. And my body is trying to dilute it. That's why my arm's swollen. Mm-hmm. And my lymphatic system is trying to keep the poison away. So it's now going to my right leg through my groin, through that lymph glands. It's now coming into my left leg. I can feel it moving. I know I don't have much time. He then said, what's your hotel room number? Where, where, how you pay me 150 Where you pay? How you pay me my money? Mm-hmm. And I said, look, I don't stay in a hotel. Uh, I'm a traveler, a surfer. I live in Tamarind Bay. Well, that sent him off. He said, you lied to me. Mm. Are you tourist, man? I said, look, I'm not a tourist. I'm, I live with a Creole. Well, all these words don't go down well that you're a surfer who's a traveler. They don't understand it. They mm-hmm. expect you to stay in the Intercontinental or Hyatt and have heaps of money. He wants a room number. He wants a hotel to get paid 100 bucks. Yeah. End of story. He hears the word Tamarind Bay, which is the surfing community I'm in. He said, I take you to the hotel, the, the Tamarind Bay. The, the tourists, they look after you. You lie to me. You're not paying me. So he's going off. I'm dying. I'm pleading with him to keep going. He pulls off the main road into the village, stops and said, get out of my cab. Man, it was, get out of my flipping cab. And I tried, but my left leg was, was gone. By this stage, to my horror, the neurotoxin had now taken out my whole lower trunk. 
complete paralysis. Wow. I said, sir, I can't move. I can't walk. I have a large amount of money. Whatever you want, I will give it to you. I'm about to die. Please. He reached over, took my safety belt off, opened the door, and just pushed me straight out of the cab. So this guy has left me for dead. Literally. Literally, paralyzed, Mm -hmm. 11 o'clock at night, in a car park with no floodlights, in some small village where where it, it it is literally local fishermen. So did fear take over? I think there was a mixture of anger, yeah. more anger at that point. I was more mm-hmm. angered. What kind of human being would do that? Mm-hmm. And there was a mixture of like, who'd want to live on this sick planet? If mm-hmm. people act like this towards humanity, why not just give yourself a favor and die? But part of me, my family were military too, so grandfather fought two world wars. And I thought, well, why would you give up over five miserable jellyfish things? Your left arm's still working. So like most men are reasonably stubborn. <laughs> I thought we might as well die trying. Mm-hmm. So we can drag myself along the ground. The trouble is it's pretty hard to drag your whole physical body with your left arm on asphalt and clumps of grass. I was ripping myself up. And then a flash, a torchlight shone out of the darkness towards me. I thought, what the heck's that? Then I listened and I could hear the voice of one of the fishermen, Danielle, one of the Creoles. He said, kiss the fair mom, what happened? I never see you like that, bro. What you do on the ground, huh? Thinking I was stoned or wasted yeah. or something. Yeah. Come running over and, and he was all jovial. Then his, then his torchlight picked up my forearm. Instant change, he said, Envisab, which is what the Creole call invisible one, which is a box jelly. Envisab. I said, We, we, Daniel. He said, Papon, Stephanie. You died with Simone at Le Mans tonight. He said, We, he said, Papon, Stephanie, man. Now, here's a diver. He's a Creole fisherman, so poor he works security on the hotel at night. I didn't know that. Scoops me up in his arms, carries me back into the hotel. Everything's slowing down, man. It's getting freaky. Next minute, out of the corner of my eye, I see my forearm beginning to shake and tremble. It's going into, like, muscular spasm, and um, it's starting to literally spasm. I watch it hit my chest, and then my lower jaw begins to bash up. Now, I've seen people have epileptic fits and grand seizures. My body's going into what appears to be, on the outside, an epileptic fit. But I know this is the death rattles. So my body is now out of control. I am... Seriously, seriously shaking, smashing, ice all over the place. I then stop shaking violently and then go icy cold. Right into the core of my body, I go icy cold death. Right into, I feel necrosis enter, enter literally from the tips of my feet into my bone marrow. I thought, great. I said, I'm freezing to death. Please help me. I'm freezing to death. They, they ran in and got blankets from the hotel rooms, wrapped me up. And I was sweating profusely. My literally, my whole body was literally getting rid of all its fluid. I was freezing cold and just soaking wet. To my amazement, in an ambulance comes flying to car park. I realise Danielle comes running out of the reception of the hotel. He's running the hospital. He's trying to save my life. He's mm-hmm. a, we're buddies. Yep. And my friend carries me into the ambulance. They race me towards the hospital. And I went, okay, if I'm nearly dead and I don't make it out of this ambulance and die en route which is very highly likely, is there life after death or nothing? Either well, I'm an atheist, I'm convinced that when you die, there's nothing there, a cessation of life, worms get you. Either but I'm a gambling atheist, and the gambling part of me has been wrong before. Either well, I don't know, I'm about to find out I'm nearly dead. Next minute, as I'm questioning all these things in my mind, I see a clear vision of my mother on her knees praying. My mother used to pray like this, very old-fashioned, on her knees, what, what's mum doing here? Yeah. Man, maybe I am going to flip and die. 
I didn't know on the other side of the world, my mother, God had literally spoken to her, she'd literally shaken her and said, your outer son Ian is nearly dead. My father remembers it. She was so distraught, she fell to her knees and began praying, something wrong, something wrong with Ian, something wrong. Mm. And I'm looking at her going, Mom, and she said, Ian, no matter how far from God you may be, son, no matter what you've done wrong, if you call out to God from your heart, God will hear you, and God will forgive you, son. And I'm thinking, okay, God, if you're real, now's a good time to show your face. I need to see to believe. No face of any God appeared, only my mum. And I thought, mum's not God. I said, well, she prays to Jesus. I wonder, what would you pray that's Christian? I thought, well, the Lord's Prayer. My mum used to kneel as a little boy by my bed, as a little kitty, and pray every night, the Our Father, which art in heaven. I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. As a gambler, putting all your chips up on one number. But, hey, I ain't seen Ganesh or Vishnu or Sai Baba or any of these other boys. I've seen my mother. And I said, okay, God, help. Couldn't remember the prayer. My mother said, Ian, from your heart, not your head. I said, God, if you see anything good in my heart, a stone, but help me. Next minute, the whole prayer came. Time and that ambulance went into slow motion. When I finished the prayer, a peace entered my heart that has not left me in 30 years. So I feel this peace hit me. I feel like crying, but I've been taught men don't cry, only boys. So I'm holding this stuff in. <laughs> Can't do that anymore, but <laughs> I wept. And I lay there and I felt... My heart has just been given to God. If you love someone, you give me a heart. That peace entered me. I thought, what a time to figure out that God's real just before a man dies. I wonder how many men just like me, complete atheists, messed up, drugged up, boozed up, violent people, get saved like me in an ambulance just before they die. I thought, well, you better be really careful you don't judge people. You should be doing what mum does, pray for people. That's Ian McCormack relating his incredible experiences to Karen Hunt today on The Story. We invite you to join us again next time to find out what happens next to Ian, including his life-after-death experiences at the hospital. Meanwhile, you can learn more about Ian and his ministry at his website, aglimpseofeternity.org. That's aglimpseofeternity.org. Well, thanks for joining us, and until next time, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I put in a blood pressure thing on my arm. Can't find a pulse. Nurse tries another machine. Can't find a pulse. I, I can hear them. I feel like I'm coming out of my body. These people are freaking out, man. I'm thinking, well, my extremities are shut down. I'm in a crash mode. I know what's going on. I'm very close to death. Ian McCormack will share the conclusion of his remarkable near-death experience, including his visions of both heaven and hell, next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.